Yeah, church has its ups and downs. Sure it does. Anybody who's ever been part of a church will know that. And so many people are just hanging in there at best. But would it surprise you to know that God's plan for your life is for you to flourish in the house of the Lord? Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're heading into the third message in this four-part series that I've called The Problem With Church Is. So many people do have a problem with church, but like I said, God's plan is that we each should flourish in the house of the Lord. So let's head into God's Word. Have you noticed the more money people earn... The more choices we have, the more choices we have, the busier we are at work and with kids, and we get tired. And so these days, getting a sense of community going is pretty hard. There are lots of lonely people around the country and around the world, and yet God has this plan for his family. God has a plan that his family should get together and be a family, and that plan is called church. Now, for a lot of people, church is a four-letter word. A lot of people are browned off with church. They've tried it and they've had enough. People are starting to write textbooks about this huge number of Bible-believing Christians who've decided they are not doing church anymore. And for someone who hasn't come to faith yet in Jesus Christ, the whole notion of church can be old-fashioned, out of date, and irrelevant. So church gets a lot of bad press, yet God writes himself in Psalm 68, verse 6, it says that God sets the lonely in families. So God has a plan for his children, for his people to be part of a family, and that family is called the church. Now, our society is struggling with having a sense of community. Just out there in everyday life, lots of people are struggling to connect with one another, and a lot of people never do. A lot of people are very lonely. And to tell you the truth, in a lot of quarters, the church is struggling as well to create this sense of community. So often churches come up with programs. You know, they have a program for this and for the youth and they do all these programs. It's almost sometimes like you're going to McChurch. But community is about relationship. Community is about, well, it's organic, isn't it? It's naturally people getting on with one another, living with one another as a family, helping one another and compensating for one another. I was reading something that a man by the name of Malcolm Langford once wrote. He's a lawyer and a musician. This is what he wrote, a little poem. I have a dream of a Christian community that when I entered, you were excited to see me. When I revealed my wounds, you held me close. When I lost my job, you paid my rent. When I needed a home, you became my family. When I followed billboards, you led me to the cross. When I ran after many loves, you opened my eyes to the lover. When I was self-absorbed, you taught me to love the broken. When I hurt others, you showed me the struggle for justice. When I destroyed everything, you helped me to create beauty. When I let you see my true self, you celebrated my journey. And when one day heaven's glories opened to call me home, I was torn. See, that's a beautiful verse, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture of what Christian community should be like. But sadly... A lot aren't. Sadly, a lot of people who attend church with the right intention, the intention of worshipping God, the intention of hearing his word proclaimed, the intention of being part of the family, don't ever experience that. 
this place where they're loved and they love, where they support and they're supported, where they're cared for and they care. People go to church with that intention, yet so many churches struggle in this area of community. After all, if church isn't a family, if a church doesn't provide community, well, we might as well just stay home and listen to sermons on the radio or on CD. I mean, that's great, but it doesn't help us to be part of a family. I would strongly encourage you, if you're struggling with church, hang with us this week and the next couple of weeks on the program because I believe that God wants us to flourish in the house of the Lord. Churches can do programs. They can do ministry activities. We can do that till we're blue in the face and yet not build relationships and not have a sense of community. Community, it's the Holy Spirit stirring our hearts and moving our hands, you and me. And today in this message that I've called Flourishing in the House of the Lord, we're going to look at the three key impediments to that sense of community. We're going to name them, identify them, and I pray help to remove them. The first of those impediments is the one of commitment. When you think of a relationship as a relationship between two people matures, it moves from being casual to ultimately becoming a relationship of commitment. Marriage is like that. You know, boy meets girl, they're attracted to one another, they might date for a while, they might stop dating, they might date again, and progressively they go through a process of greater commitment, of becoming engaged, of spending time together in engagement and then becoming married. And the whole marriage thing is supposed to be a lifelong commitment to one another. And as that commitment begins with marriage, so the relationship deepens and matures, that's God's plan. I know it doesn't always work out that way. I know that half of all marriages almost end in divorce. But God's plan of a mature relationship between a man and a woman is that they be a husband and a wife. In the New Testament, the word church, well, there are two words for it. One is the Greek word ecclesia. Now, I don't normally talk about Greek words, but this is important. One is the Greek word ecclesia. It literally means an assembly. I guess that's what we do in church on Sundays, mornings or evenings or whenever, when the church meets and gathers together. It's the word from which we get ecclesiastical. The other word for church in the New Testament is koinonia. It means a fellowship. It comes from a a group of words that have a root meaning of to share something in common. You can do ecclesia. You can meet together Sundays, Saturdays, whenever you meet as an assembly and yet have zero commitment. But you can't do koinonia church, that's fellowship church, without commitment being a foundation of the relationship. You might say, well, I'm committed to church, I think. Well, let's have a read of what God says in Psalm 92 and verses 12 to 14. If you have a Bible, grab it, open it up. This is a great passage. He says this, The righteous flourish like a palm tree and a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted, where? In the house of the Lord, and they flourish in the courts of our God. In old age, they still produce fruit. They are always green and full of sap, showing that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. See, the plan for us is that we should be trees like the cedars of Lebanon, like the palm trees, planted in the house of the Lord. The problem is that these days, many of us want to be pot plant Christians. We don't want to put our roots down in the house of the Lord. We don't want to be part of the fellowship. We want to say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I don't need those other Christians. After all, many of them are a pain in the neck. So what I'll be is I'll be a pot plant Christian. In my pot, 
I'll be protected. I won't be hurt. I won't be disillusioned. I'll just keep myself to myself. Maybe you've been through that in the past in a church and you've had enough. The hurt has never gone away. And so you've put yourself in a pot instead of being planted in the house of the Lord. You put yourself in a pot instead of being there in God's house where we're intended to flourish. Now, you put a pot in the wind and it dries out, it blows over. Ultimately, you put a pot out there in the weather and the chances are the tree will die. To flourish means to grow well, to thrive, to luxuriate, to be at a time of the highest productivity and excellence and influence. My hunch is it's not up to us to transplant ourselves from one church to another. You've probably heard of that term going church shopping. Well, Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3 says that we are all trees of righteousness, the plantings of the Lord. And we are planted where God chooses to plant us. I'm planted in the right place, am I? Well, there are two answers to that question. What does God want and what do our feelings tell us? And frankly, sometimes those two are different. Are we prepared to put the calling of the Holy Spirit above our feelings and say, Lord, am I planted in the right place? Have you got me in the right place? If the answer is yes from God, then it's time to get committed. But if the answer is no, well, we better find out where God wants to plant us and go there and be committed. Now, the easiest thing to do is to snipe at this thing they call church from the outside. And if the truth be known, a whole bunch of people are prone to sniping at it from the inside too. They're the ones who, instead of putting their roots down into the fertile soil of community, well, they're like pot-bound Christians. We're taking a look today at what it means to flourish in the house of the Lord. See, flourish is this wonderful word, such an abundant word, and that's God's word for what he wants for you and me in his family in this thing we call church. Now, sometimes people who call themselves Christians, well, they've had enough of the church thing. Lots have, lots have left, and yet still believe in Jesus Christ. Instead of being planted in the house of the Lord, they become pot-plant Christians. Have you seen a tree or a plant that's pot-bound? You pull it out of its pot, and its roots are all gnarled, and sometimes you can't even get it out of its pot. Depotting can be painful, and sometimes you even have to break the pot or prune the root ball, but it's necessary for a healthy tree. Psalm 92 and verse 13 says this, When they are planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Have you ever been in an office building and seen some pot plants, and they're in individual pot plants, but they're put into like a container or a trough, and they put bark or stones over the top, and there's this illusion that they're all in the one pot. But in reality, under the stones or the gravel or the bark, they're still in separate pots, separated from one another. Let's not kid ourselves. Am I pot-bound? Are you pot-bound? Are we attending a church or being a part of a Christian fellowship and yet still not putting our roots down, still not truly being part of God's plan? What's my pot? What's your pot? Is it maybe a past hurt? Is it maybe a cultural thing? You don't feel that you fit in with the other people. Have we become cynical? Are we afraid of being hurt? Oh, I don't feel like this or I don't feel like that or I feel like I'm out of place. There are so many reasons for us being pot-bound. But an amazing thing happens when you take a plant out of the pot. Maybe the plant is small and stunted and you put it in the ground 
and you let its roots go down deep into the ground, like an attitude of heart that we need to have, a deep attitude of heart, it gets strength, it grows, it does things it could never have done in the pot, and it bears fruit. Now, you might say to me, but Bernie, I have been to a church, or I go to a church, I just feel dead in this so-called fellowship. I feel like there are no connections, there's no relationship. Have you ever seen a deciduous tree during winter? It looks dead. It looks like just a bunch of sticks that have died. And yet in the season of winter, in that time of trial, cold, windy, blowing, that tree is storing up sap and getting ready to blossom in the spring. So often God calls people to a fellowship, calls them into a place, and they transplant themselves before they ever bear fruit. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 6, flip there if you have a Bible. This is a parable, a story that Jesus told. He said, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. That was an odd thing to do. And he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and I still haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? And the gardener replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. What, let me ask you, what was a fig tree doing in a vineyard? The answer is, the owner planted it there. Sometimes we feel a bit like that fig tree in the vineyard. Sometimes we look at the vines and they look at us. They're growing grapes and we're the odd man out growing figs and we think, I don't belong here. Yet in this parable, it was clearly the owner's choice where to plant the fig tree. And in God's family, I believe that it's God's choice where to plant the fig tree, you and me. Oh, I feel this, I feel that, it's hard. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I don't believe it's up to us to get up and go. Are we operating in the flesh or are we operating in the spirit? Are we following our feelings or are we following God? If the owner came looking for you where he planted you, would he find you there? And would he find you bearing fruit because a mature tree should be producing fruit? It's not a tree inspection. The owner isn't coming to look at the bark or the texture or the shape and the colour of the leaves. The owner is looking for fruit. God is the owner. God's not interested in looks and feelings. God's interested in fruit. And in the church, God wants it to be full of established trees producing fruit, flourishing in the courts of our God, flourishing in the house of the Lord. Something is wrong if there's no fruit. Now, maybe if you go to God and you pray about it, maybe God will tell you, you're in the wrong church. I'd like you to move over here. Go on, go. Now, my hunch is that's going to be far the minority, vastly in the minority, because there is no perfect church. But if you feel that God's saying to you, I've got somewhere else for you to go, there's a new fellowship, a new thing that I'm doing, get up and go, well, go. But if God comes back to you when you pray about this and say, no, no, you're in the place that I planted you, well, maybe it's time to say, God, if I'm in the right place, if this is where you have me planted, even though I feel like I'm a fig tree amongst the grapevines, I'm going to break the pot. I'm going to get committed. I'm going to put my roots down here in the house of the Lord where you've planted me. That's the first impediment is a lack of commitment. The second one is being judgmental. Flip in your Bible again to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. You may have heard me speak about these verses before in a different context. Here Jesus says, look, don't judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment that you make, you will be judged, and the measure that you give, you'll be measured. 
Why do you see the speck in your neighbour's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own? Well, how can you say to your neighbour, come here, let me take the speck out of your eye while a log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbour's eye. We love to judge other people, especially if we're a fig tree and they're a grapevine. We love to condemn. We love to backstep and to gossip. People do. I can't believe what Mary did the other day. I don't mean to gossip, but I would never have done it that way. How often do you sit down with people who say, I'm a Christ follower, and you hear them talking like that about other people? It's judgmental. Jesus said, don't do it. Otherwise, you'll be judged. I used to be in bondage to this. I used to have a saying before I came to Christ, it's so hard to soar like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys. I was critical. I used to get so frustrated and it was ruining my life. I remember my wife, when we were first married, when she washed her hands, she would never wipe the sink down. It used to drive me nuts because I grew up in a house where we learned to wipe the sink down. Does that make me better than her? No. She just doesn't wipe the sink down when she's washed her hands. Mind you, she does a lot of other things that I never do. See, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And the same is true inside a church. Let's get a revelation here. I have enough of my own sins that God is working through with me without being in bondage to your sins. Let me tell you, you have enough of your own without being in bondage to mine or the sins of other people in your church. And we get in bondage to other people's sins when we judge them because it drives us nuts. Because we focus on the things they're doing wrong. And when we become judgmental, it tears the family apart, just like it does brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and fathers and mothers. My friend, there is no perfect church. If there was, and you and I went to it, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. There are no perfect people. That's an absolute given. If we say, hang on a minute, God's called me to be in this church, he's called me to be in this place, I'm going to break the pot. If we put our roots down, we will experience firsthand the sins of other people. That's the nature of the church. That's the nature of the beast. We need to stop fighting that. Come on. We have strengths and weaknesses, and the next person in the church has different strengths and weaknesses. And if I'm going to be a godly Christian, spirit-filled, committed brother in the body of Christ, will I accept the responsibility of saying to my brothers and sisters, I will love you anyway, even when you fail me? How about it? Will we do that? Now, by and large, the only real problem I've ever found with church is the other people. I mean, if it weren't for them, church would be a delight, really. No arguments, no different opinions, no different theologies. Yeah, pretty much, I've come to the conclusion that church would be just fantastic without all those other people. Today we're looking at the fact that so often we come to the church with a lack of commitment. We come to God's family with a lack of commitment and a sense of judgment. And we wonder why church doesn't feel like a community. Isn't it easy to go to a family, to a church, and expect to be served rather than to be one of the servants? You've probably heard that term church shopping so many times. It's not about saying what's in it for me. For me, the only reason that I would be part of this church rather than that church is that God's called me to be in this church. Well, it's all well and good to talk about trees and roots and pots and figs and grapes, but exactly how do we do this? Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to the ways of this world. 
Can I take the world out and stick in church for a moment? Don't be conformed to the ways of this church. Sometimes in our churches, sometimes in our families, we're dysfunctional. The grapevines are screaming at the fig trees, be a grape. The fig trees are screaming at the grapevine, be a fig. Yet God's word teaches us that we are all different and complementary. Me, I'm not someone for having lots of people around all the time. I like my own space, I like my own time, and that can lead to dysfunction. I've had to learn and spend some time reading God's word and discover there are some different ways of doing things. So I can bring gifts and weaknesses to the table, just as I am, different to the ones that you can bring to the table. If we can only be who we are and open ourselves to the Holy Spirit to work out his love in us, what a wonderful place church would be. Yes, grow. Yes, become mature. Yes, become holy. But don't try to make grapes if you're a fig tree. Make big, sweet, succulent, juicy figs. Whatever the grapevines happen to think about you. You see, we can over-spiritualise this stuff sometimes, but there are so many little things that you and I can do to exercise our giftings in church, to put our roots down, to share the goodness of God in our lives with other people. Remember, the first church I ever went to, there was a man called Peter. He looked like a big, retired sea captain with a grey beard, you know, just straight out of central casting. Let me tell you something. If Peter hadn't come and shaken my hand and smiled and spoken to me, you know, I was scared of going to church that first time. It wasn't what I wanted to do. If he hadn't come and done that and served me, truly, I don't know if I'd have gone back the next Sunday. I don't know even if I'd be here with you today. Sometimes we see someone when we go there to church on Sunday morning or whenever it is and think, I don't know, maybe they just need someone to lean on. Maybe I should invite them out for a cup of coffee during the week. Maybe during the week you could think about someone. Maybe you could pick up the phone and call them. Can I suggest that it should be a priority for each one of us to build at least one or two close friendships in the family of God? It's the little things, the phone calls, the words of encouragement, the prayers. If you believe that God has planted you in this family, will you also believe that he will lead you to people for whom he has custom-made your fruit? We need to be committed in order to flourish. We need to, to have the courage to stop judging, to set ourselves free from the weaknesses of other people. We need to have practical acts of love going on. It won't always be convenient. The flesh won't always like it. And probably, you know, we'll get hurt along the way. But will we be part of this community for Christ's sake? Will you go to the house of the Lord, put your roots down and flourish there where God's planted you? Just before we go, I'd like to tell you about a free gift that we'd love to send you to help you experience the power of God more and more in your life. Each month, Bernie writes a new life application booklet around the sorts of issues that we all deal with in life. It's designed to take you deeper into God's word and then to help you live out what you've discovered. It's about helping you experience God's love and power in your faith walk. To request the latest e-booklet, visit ChristianityWorks.org and you'll see that free offer towards the top of the homepage. I'm believing that it'll be a mighty blessing to you. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. You've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Diamond, and we'll catch you again next time.